Stop being so self-conscious. It may make you happier. That's the title of an article that appeared in the Atlantic magazine December 17th of last year. And the article was written by a psychology professor from Yale University. And the article described an experiment that was published in 2000 where undergraduates were asked to wear a piece of clothing they found embarrassing. In this case, it was a T-shirt with a picture of Barry Manilow (laughs) on the front of it. I'll just let that pain sink in. Anyway, once they had the T-shirt on, then they had to go into a room and spend time with other students. Later, the students who were wearing the Manilow T-shirt were asked to guess how many students noticed what they were wearing. They overestimated the proportion of people who noticed by a large margin. In study after study, experimental subjects thought that people would notice them far more than people really did notice them. And so the psychologist who conducted the experiment dubbed it the spotlight effect, noting that we are naturally conscious of ourselves, what we're thinking, how we look, what we're doing. Something in my teeth? (laughs) Just kidding. How self-conscious are you? And how does your self-consciousness affect your behavior, particularly your commitment to Christ? The January 1st devotional, in my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chamber writes this, an overweening consideration for ourselves keeps us from giving our utmost for God's highest. When you and I are confident, when we are secure in Christ and who we are in Christ, we're going to be set free from crippling self-consciousness. We're going to be set free from seeking the spotlight. And we're going to be free to be who God has called us to be. And we're going to be set free to do the things that he's called us to do. And if you and I, together as a church, can achieve this confidence and this security, I know, I know, I know, that in this new year, we will make a difference in this city and even in the world for Jesus' sake. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. And when you found your place in John chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. John chapter 1, beginning verse 19, this is the word of the Lord. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. 
Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for your word. We thank you that through it you speak truth to us. The only truth of which we can be confident and sure in this world are the words that you speak. And so here we have them before us. And so we pray now that you would teach us through your word, transform us through your word. Oh, Lord, make us the people you've called us to be and set us about doing the things you've called us to do. And we will give you the praise and the glory because we know that your work in us is beyond what we could do in ourselves. So we commit ourselves to you now and to the authority of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you were here during the Advent season, you know that we spent a, a large part of the Advent season looking at John the Baptist. His bold message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. His honest doubt as he asks Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? This morning, I want us to round out this Advent season by looking at John's confident identity. The event that we have just read, it all occurred because of of two questions. And I cannot overstate the importance of these two questions and the impact that answering them has on our lives. These are the big questions of life, the deep questions, the existential questions. And the questions are these, who are you and what do you say about yourself? Now, even when you and I are not cognizant of those questions, we are answering them every day with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions. And we either attempt to answer those questions honestly by saying, this is who I am. Or we seek to answer them dishonestly and say, this is who I want people to believe that I am. But even when you and I are being honest, this is who I am. This is all I will ever be. Who or what told you who you are? What voice are you listening to? Who's defining you? What circumstances have possibly happened in your life that you are allowing to define who you are or limit who you are? Only the one who created us can tell us who we really are. And only with the truth that he speaks to us can we rightly articulate the answer to the question, what do you say about yourself? And so we've got to go to God's truth to answer these questions. Now look with me in verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. 
Now, why does this important and powerful delegation make their way out of Jerusalem and trek out into the desert to find out who John was? Well, that's easy to answer. John was a celebrity. And we always want to know more about celebrities, don't we? Hence the the array or the barrage of, of newspapers at the grocery store checkout. And you read them, I know you read them. Because celebrities have influence. They have power, either for good or for ill, and we want to know about them. Well, John is a celebrity, and John has influence. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, people are flocking to John from the villages, from the cities. He's out in the desert, and they're going to hear him. And he's preaching boldly. He's telling them to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And his preaching is having astonishing results. Because people aren't just listening to their, his words one ear out the other. They're actually doing what he told them to do. People are confessing their sins. Now look, as sinners, we know how difficult that is, don't we? To confess our sins. People are doing it. People are being baptized. They were going down into the river with John and he was baptizing them. We know what a humbling experience that is because there are a lot of people standing up on the banks watching you. Get baptized, but people didn't care. They were responding to the preaching, confessing, and being baptized. And so this delegation comes to the desert to see who this man is who's having such a tremendous impact. Rumors must be flying around that John is the Messiah. And John must have heard those rumors that people are saying that he is the Messiah. Because verse 20 tells us that John says that he did not fail to confess... But confessed freely, I am not the Christ. So here the apostle John records the words of John the Baptist because they were so bold and so emphatic. He repeats the word confessed, he confessed, he confessed what he was not. It must have been his love for Jesus. And John's intense desire that his life would in no way detract from the glory of Jesus that made him answer with such passion and with such conviction. John is determined not to steal the glory for himself. John is determined that he is going to get out of the spotlight. And so the delegation makes a second guess. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? Nope, I'm not. A third guess. Are you the prophet by whom they meant Moses? Nope, I am not. Think of the glory. Think of the fame that John could have already added to his already immense reputation by answering yes to one of those questions. Well, you guys, you guessed it. Yeah. I'm Elijah. Come back from the dead. I'm the prophet. They would have believed it. But John did not. With passion, with conviction, he declared who he was not. And that's the passion And that's the conviction that you and I need to embrace this morning. You and I have got to know how to get out of the spotlight that is not ours. We need to know how to reject the opportunities that present themselves to us because they allow us to grab glory for ourselves. Attention, praise, credit, pats on the back. We love those things. That's the inclination of our hearts. And I don't care how humble you act, 
You can kick your shoe in the dirt all day long. All of us desire that. And God knows it. So he tells us in Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. God's not going to share his glory. It's a spotlight effect. It impacts all of us. How do we avoid it? Like John, you and I must seek to not to be who we are not. John knew that he was called and gifted by God to be John, not to be the Messiah. John knew that he was called and gifted by God to be John and not Elijah or Moses. It seems clear that John could have believably taken on any of those identities for himself, but he would not. John's not going to be someone God has not called him to be, even when it means that John has to point the spotlight on someone else. Short, crisp answers. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Moses. John had no time to waste trying to be someone he was not. He had no time to waste trying to do things that God had not called him to do. And neither do you and I. We don't have time to waste for things that really matter in life, for things that really make a difference for eternity, for things that really make a difference in our community for Jesus' sake. There's no value to us. There's no gain for us in trying to be who we are not. People in your life might have a different idea for your life, a different calling or plan for you than God has. And they may try to shape you into their image. And you may try to live up to their expectations for you to be who they want you to be. And so with that pressure, you and I need to know clearly, just as clearly as John knew who he was not. There's another I am not in this chapter. Look at the end of verse 27. John says, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. What amazing humility. So stop looking within yourself for worth. Stop looking inside yourself for your worth because you won't find it there. And stop looking to the praise and the estimation of others for your worth. They can't give it to you. You and I, we are not worthy in and of ourselves. And so we have to look for another at another place for our worth. You and I must look to Christ. And what are you worth to Christ? You don't have to look for a price tag. All you have to do is look at the cross. Because he died there. He died on the cross for you and for me. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of God. God, what God? Who's God? What God? What what business does he have with my life? While we were doing all that. While we were sinners, Christ died for us because of his love. And not because you deserved it at that time. And not because you first made yourself worthy, but because of his love. So get out of the spotlight. 
Get out of the spotlight. It doesn't belong to you. All of us have got to be confident in who we are so we stop trying to be and stop living in the frustration of trying to be and trying to achieve things that God has not called us to do or to be people that God has not called us to be. As we move on, we see that not only did John know who he was not, but John knew clearly who he was, who he is. At this point in the interview process, this delegation is probably getting a little frustrated because all John will talk about is who he's not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But that doesn't help them accomplish the mission upon which they've been sent. So look in verse 22. They said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then in, John, in verse 23, John begins his self-identification. You want to know who I am? I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now we find here in John's response two actions, and we can emulate these actions every day of our lives. The first one is this. He goes to Scripture to answer the question, Who am I? And he finds the answer there in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, I realize that John is a unique person in salvation history. He was created by God. He was called by God from before his birth to be the one who would prepare the way for Christ. But the principle that we see here applies to all of us. When we need to know who we are, when we need to know what we are to do, we've got to find our answers in the Word of God. Find Your answers in the Word of God. No place else. You'll never go wrong when you let the Word of God give you your identity. And so, I want to do that. Because I don't think that anything will transform your life and my life more. The goals that we set for ourselves, how we spend our time, how we treat other people, how we treat ourselves more than in knowing who you are in Christ. So if you want to jot down these references, please feel free to do so. Verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10 get a long list of sins committed by sinners. And we'll find our sins in that list if you read them. But then we come to verse 11. And it says, And this is what some of you were, sinners, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Romans 8.30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. If you have turned in faith to Christ, these verses give you your new identity. They tell us that we are called by God. That means that God, in his perfect timing and by his power, and for no other reason than his love for us and for you, invited you 
drew you to Jesus Christ by his word and his spirit. God enlightened your mind. God renewed your will. God made you willing and able to answer his call and to embrace the grace offered to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's God's work. That's God's call in your life. That's your identity. One who has been called by God. In Christ, the word of God tells us that we're justified. That means that God has pardoned all of our sins. All of them. Is that good news? Pardon. Justified means that God accepts you and counts you as right. Righteous in his sight. Not because of anything you have done. But because of Christ. He perfectly obeyed the Father. And the Father said, yes, your sacrifice is perfect. It's acceptable. And so the righteousness that belongs to you, Jesus, I'm giving to these people. We are justified. Is that good news? Oh, is that good? Yeah, thank you, Jim. The Word of God tells us that we are sanctified by Christ. And that means by His grace and by the work of the Spirit of God within us, we are renewed in our inner being day by day. And every day, the Spirit of God enables us to die more and more to sin. I don't want to sin anymore. And to live for Christ, sanctified. We're adopted. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Adopted. God, by His free grace, received you into His arms. It's a great word. Into a, a Father's embrace. He gave you His name. Gave you His spirit. You're under His fatherly care. All the privileges that come with being in God's family, they're yours. You're an heir. You're included in God's will. Co-heir with Christ. That's your identity. Adopted child of God. Scripture tells us that we're glorified. You don't know it yet, and I certainly can't see it. And I know you can't see it if you're looking at me. But God dwells outside of time. So for God, it's an accomplished fact. We are glorified. He, he sees the end. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So that means that at your death, your soul will be made perfect in holiness. Can you imagine? I cannot. What a day that will be. And you will pass immediately into glory and be united with Christ forever. That's what God's word tells us. That's your identity. One who is, in the mind of God, glorified. So you and I don't have to look for our identity in any other place, from any other people. This is who God says that he has made you to be. And so when you are secure in your identity, you don't have to find your worth and your acceptance from others or what other people think about you because you find your worth and you find your acceptance in Christ and who has made, he has made you to be, and that is a freeing thing.
So it doesn't matter what you are here this morning. Business person, a doctor, then you are a justified, sanctified doctor who's been adopted by God into his family and one day you'll be glorified. If you're a student, I don't care, 10th grade, college, graduate school, you are a called, justified, sanctified student adopted by God into his family and one day you will be glorified. Whatever, fill in the blank, say it home, mom, I don't care. Your identity is one who is called by God, justified, sanctified, adopted, and one day you will be glorified. That's your identity. So live in light of who God has made you to be in Christ. The decisions you make in your life, what to do, where to go, make them based on who you are in Christ. Go to Scripture for your identity. That's what John did in answering his question. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, and we're almost done. We must point to Christ. That's what John did. I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. And that's what John did with his life. That's what John found to be the purpose of his life, preparing the way for Christ. And so John used the gifts that God had given him to accomplish that purpose. That's what he does in the course of this interview. He points to Christ with his words. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, pointing to Jesus away from himself toward Christ. The next day, John literally points his finger at Christ. And he says, there he is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The third day, he points to Christ. He's with two disciples. Jesus passes by, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And so now the process is complete. John has prepared the way for Jesus. John has pointed people to Jesus, and now people are following Jesus. That's the complete circuit. And when John's disciples came to him later and said, "Uh, John, that man that you baptized, Jesus, now he's baptizing and people are following after him. John's response was this. He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. Amazing. Because he had accomplished his purpose. John won the victory over pride and envy. He had not promoted himself, did not try to steal the spotlight, did not try to retain his own following. He pointed to Christ. And in pointing to Christ, he said, you don't need me. You need him. And so that's our position. Should be pointing others to Christ so that they can follow him. Now, we don't do that as much as we should, do we? With our words or with our lives. Why is that? It isn't because it's physically strenuous. It isn't. It's not because it's painful. It doesn't hurt us. I think it's probably because we're not confident in our identity in Christ who we are and who we are not. 
And since we're not confident in our identity in Christ, we're seeking our identity from the world. We seek to be who they tell us to be so that they will accept us. We say things or we don't say things based on gaining that acceptance that we so desperately need. The world is going to encourage us to be who we are not. They will. They'll encourage us to tolerate sin in our life. That's not sin. The world will encourage us to live for ourselves, to seek our own pleasure, to seek our own glory. That's the world's way. Neither is the world going to encourage or approve when we point others to Christ because Christ has different goals for us, goals that are antithetical to the goals the world has for us. And so we, people who crave the spotlight, we don't point others to Christ because we fear there may be shame in it for us and not glory. Isaiah 9.1 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 2 Corinthians 4-6, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. When you are in Christ, you are in the spotlight. You are. When you're in Christ, you are in the spotlight, His spotlight. And so we can be less self-conscious. We can worry less about what others think and be more conscious of Christ, who He is and who He has made us to be. So the difference that we make, wait, I'm assuming that we want to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. Is that what we want? If we're going to make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake, it depends to a large extent how you as an individual, part of this bigger church family we call Redeemer, answer these questions. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? Will you embrace who you are not? Will you embrace who you are in Christ? Are you willing to become less so that Christ can become more? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray now that these questions would nag us until we answer them for ourselves and from your word that we'll take those true statements, just a few of which I've read this morning, so many more, and apply them to our own lives. Father, I pray that you will not let distractions keep us from answering these questions about who we are about who you've made us to be, about our willingness to do not what we want to do, but what you want us to do. To deal with the fact that that may mean there'll never be a world spotlight 
shown on us. There may not be glory for us to receive. That should be okay with all of us, Lord, as long as you are getting the glory. You're the one who deserves it. So, Father, I pray that we would answer these questions according to your truth. And that where our answers are out of line with Scripture, realign us, Lord, according to your truth. We do want to make a difference in this world, in this community, for Jesus' sake. And we pray that you will help us do that by being the people you've called us to be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.